0: This morning, we're talking and closing out this series, Spark, Love, Sex, and God, and uh, talking about when sexuality meets spirituality. And immediately when we talk about love and sex inside the church, there's a question that comes up. It's a question around the area of homosexuality and the LGBT community. I remember... Sitting around the table with a, a couple that was pretty new to our church a number of months ago. Uh, they grew up in a Christian home, walked away for a number of years, just coming back. Their industry, their work is in the area of design and art. And, and I sat across the table and, and they asked this question Can I bring my gay friends to church? Like, we really like awakening. We really like what's going on there. But you see, my industry, my friends, people I work with, that rub shoulders with, the church has said, we don't want you. So let me ask you, Can I bring my gay friends to church? I got to be honest. That question broke my heart on so many levels. That a church would talk about the gay issue and not about people, I believe, breaks the heart of God in so many levels. You see how the church has responded has caused a whole group of people to ask this critical question. Does Jesus really love me? I mean, mean, does he? Because everything around me seems like his followers don't. I get asked this question, where do you stand in regards to LGBT? And homosexuality, let me tell you very clearly where I stand this morning. And I promise you, it will be inadequate and insufficient for many. But it is clear, it is compassionate, and it is biblical. I believe every person is made in the very image of God. And as a result, has intrinsic value and worth. You have never met a worthless person in your life. I believe every person has been marred by sin and brokenness. Romans 3.23, for all, all, hello, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We live in a broken, fallen world that is not God's design, and every single one of us has a sin nature, a flesh, that pulls away from who God is in God's ways. I believe God is actively pursuing all of humanity to bring restoration. John 3.16, you know the passage. Even if you didn't grow up in church, you've heard it. For God so loved the whole, whole world. That he gave his one and only son that whoever should believe. Not perish, but have eternal life. I believe Jesus came and died for every single person on this planet. Romans five six. You see, at just the right time, when we were powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Now you got to get this. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man. Though for a good man, some might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated. Hello, God demonstrated His own love for us in this. How. While we are still sinners, Christ died for us. I believe the New Testament reveals God's design for sexuality and relationships. I believe that every follower of Jesus is called to bring their life into obedience. And I believe the church needs to stop judging those outside of the church. 1 Corinthians 5.12 is a verse we often overlook inside the church. Paul says this, What business is it of mine, or what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Implication, none. Are we not to judge those inside? Billy Graham, I love this, he said, It's God's job to judge, the Spirit's job to convict, it's my job to love. For far too long, the church has been known for what it's against instead of what we're for. I believe the church needs to be the safest place in the world to wrestle with deep and hard and messy questions. I love how Andy Stanley said it one time. He said, the church should be the safest place on the planet for a student to talk about anything, including same-sex attraction." Remember in college one of my good friends Nate he was gay and one night we were talking about his spiritual journey and you see Nate grew up in the church in fact he was really all in he was a leader in his youth group and wrestling with his identity and his sexuality And one day he pulled his youth pastor aside and told him his wrestle. And immediately he was taken off student leadership and kicked out of the church. Does Jesus really love me? Is what Nate asked that night. Because the minute I opened up, I got kicked out. I believe the church must once more be known for how we love. John 13, 34, 35, a new command that I give you. If we want to get clear on Jesus' commands, the central command of the gospel of Jesus Christ is to love. Not any kind of love. Love. Not love the way you want to be loved or the way love when it's convenient. Love the way Jesus has loved you and me. And he says this, By this, the world will know you are my disciples by how we love. Once more... Don't you dream of a church that once more that when people talk about Christians and people talk about followers of Jesus, they're not surrounding the conversation with all the political mumbo jumbo that so gets caught up in our dialect, but they now are talking about a people that radically love one another and those around them. I dream of that kind of church. That's Jesus's kind of church. And I believe to love the way Jesus loved is very, very messy. It is not simple. It is not clean and tidy. To love the way Jesus loves is to risk being misunderstood. Especially by religious people. You ever notice that about Jesus? He came to this planet and he was consistently misunderstood by all the religious people. And he gets questioned by his disciples. Why is he hanging out with tax collectors and sinners? Why is he hanging out with all the, quote, wrong kind of people? And he says this, he says, it's not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. I have come to seek and save that which is lost. He's sitting around a table with a Pharisee and a woman breaks from the crowd that's around the table listening in on the conversation and, and, and weeping, falls at his feet and breaks a jar of the most expensive perfume, easily a year's wage of perfume, and crying and wiping his feet. And the Pharisee sits in the seat of judgment and says, If only Jesus knew who this woman was. He wouldn't let her touch him. See, what's interesting about Jesus is not only did he let untouchables touch him, he touched the untouchables. He touched the Pharisees. What's so amazing about Jesus is, or the lepers. You ever notice about Jesus that, that, that in the Old Testament, if something unclean touched something clean, that which is uncle- that which was clean became unclean. And then in the person of Jesus, it completely reverses that the clean Jesus, that if something unclean touched Jesus, it became clean. And when he touched the leopard, it became clean. And in that moment with that woman, he tells this grand story. But the point was, whoever was forgiven much will also love much. And you see Jesus with another woman caught in adultery. All the religious wanting to throw stones and condemn. In that moment, he bends down, he doesn't answer. I wonder what it would be like, church, if we didn't answer all the time. I know it's hard. James said, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. We should try it. (laughs) And he's getting hit on every side, forced to somehow speak into this situation. And if he shows mercy, he's breaking the Old Testament law. And if he shows justice, He's going against who he is. And he bends down and writes. Nobody knows what he wrote. Here's only my guess, by the way. I believe that he bent down to write to take the eyes off of everyone of the woman in the middle who is most likely naked, ripped in front, and publicly ashamed and to take her shame and bring it onto himself. And then he gets up. And still, with such deafness, Jesus is so smart. We should learn a lot more about how to respond to these issues the way Jesus responds. He says, whoever hasn't sinned, you go ahead and cast the first stone. The text says, one by one, with the oldest, they walked away. He says, woman, where are your accusers? <laughs> They've left, Master. Neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. See, when Jesus encountered people who were far from God, by the way, <laughs> he always led with compassion and then clarity. Somehow we've mixed that up as the church, and we lead with clarity and never get to compassion. I believe to love the way Jesus loved is messy and at risks being misunderstood for the sake of people designed and made in the very image of God. It's not an issue, it's people. Let's be clear. And I believe when a person experiences the love of Jesus, they are changed. My aim and my goal when I preach, my aim and my goal as I live, my aim and my goal as I go about daily life is not somehow to try to change you or convince you. My aim is simply to introduce you to Jesus who has changed me. See, I have this crazy belief That if you meet the risen Savior, your life will be forever changed. That that his grace and his love will transform you. I have this crazy belief, this crazy belief that the closer you get to Jesus, the more you'll look like Jesus. So my job is simply... My goal is simply to point you to Jesus. See, it breaks my heart when I sit across the table from a friend and I have them ask this question Can I bring my gay friend to church? When I look at the life of Jesus and how he lived, church, we have drifted. This is what love demands of us. Does Jesus really love me? Yeah. More than you ever could possibly imagine. And since you and since I have been so well-loved, we don't need to be threatened by what's going on around us. We just get to love the way Jesus has loved. So, where do we go from here? I want to take a hard shift and talk about when sexuality meets spirituality. I want to talk about this morning uh, when sexuality meets spirituality. Because I believe when those two meet, you will experience the spark of intimacy that you deeply long for. In our culture, your sexuality is often in the driver's seat and your spirituality takes a back seat. That's how we function relationally. The New Testament invites us to do relationships a different way. The pathway, the New Testament says, is to a healthy, vibrant love relationship. Excuse me. Is one in which our spirituality is in the driver's seat and our sexuality is in the backseat. The question is, how do we do that? How do we begin to not just have our spirituality and our sexuality be part of us, but where we allow who we are as followers of Jesus to inform every part of us, including our sexuality, who we are as beloved in Christ, not to just be some idea out here, but to inform and impact how we go about relationships. You see, because our spirituality isn't supposed to be some kind of ethereal thing. Thought or concept, according to the Apostle Paul, according to Jesus, it is nitty, it is gritty, and it is real, and it has impact in our everyday life. We're going to talk about. How do we make sure our sexuality and our spirituality meet? And we're continuing or finishing up in the chapter 5 of Ephesians. And the Apostle Paul is going to be talking uh, about really what does it look like to live this out? How do you and I do this together? And so if you got your Bibles, if you would open them up to Ephesians 5 verse 15. If not, it's in your notes. How do we experience a healthy, vibrant love relationship that lasts a lifetime? He's going to say the first thing we need to do to make our spirituality and our sexuality meet is we need to pay attention to your direction. You need to pay attention to your direction. Most of us pay attention to the direction that our careers are going. Most of us pay attention to the direction, at least that we're driving our cars, Many of us have paid attention to the direction that our futures are going. However, I think many of us aren't paying attention to the direction of our spirituality, to the direction of our sexuality, to the direction of even the most significant relationships in our life. Notice what the Apostle Paul says. He says, be very careful. Literally, watch, watch out. Be mindful. Then how you live Not as unwise or lacking discernment, but as wise, literally skillful. Skillfully navigate your way through life. How? By making the most of every opportunity. Literally make the best use of your time. Why? Because the days are evil. Here's what he's saying. Be very careful. Be mindful of your steps. Watch the direction that you're heading. Why? Because there is a current around us that is just pulling us in opposition to God's design and plan and will for your life. You have to be pay attention to your direction. Here's why. Your decisions and life, your daily decisions determine your direction. You know this. You get this. The decisions you're making today impact the direction you're heading. The direction determines your ultimate destination. Your direction, I'm focused this way, is going to ultimately determine where you land up. Have you paid attention in your relationship to the direction you're heading? Singles. Have you paid attention to the direction that you're heading in your singleness? I mean, think about it. For some, you're getting caught up and swept away. Well, I'm single. I might as well try to figure it out. And so I'm going to swipe right and meet up and swipe right here and do this. But you haven't really given thought to the direction you want to head as a single person. Or maybe you're dating. Have you paid attention to the direction that you're moving as a dating person? Or maybe you're married. Have you paid attention to the direction your marriage is headed? Do you know where the decisions you're making today, the ultimate destination is leading you tomorrow? See, you have to think, I have to think, we have to look into this. And the question for us is, is this the best use of my time? Are the decisions I'm making me, making taking me in the des- direction of my desired destination? Are the decisions I'm making taking me in the direction of my desired destination? Is this the best use of my time as a single? Is this the best use of my time as dating? Is this the best use of my time when you're engaged and married and as a mom and dad? See, for spirituality and sexuality to me, we actually have to first be aware. Okay, wise. Wise. There's a difference, by the way, between being right and being wise. You can be right and unwise. And there's plenty of people that are right and are jerks and do it in a wrong way. Okay, here's what the wise know, by the way. The wise understand that all of life is connected. We miss this. Somehow we believe that something over here will not impact this over here. The wise understand that all of life's connected. The wise understand singles. The wise understand that your past will follow you into your future. The wise understand that that habit will not just go away. You have to deal with it. You have to pay attention to your direction because your direction determines your ultimate destination. And the question, I think this is such a big question, especially for those in the Silicon Valley, is this the best use of my time? Am I investing the moments that I have on this planet? Why? Because the days are evil. Huh. Because there's so much pulling against me. There's so many things that I'm going to get pulled in the current of. I got to ask this question daily. Is this the very best use of my time? Because for some, when you look at your marriage, when you look at your relationship with your kids, when when you look at your pursuits, you go, okay, you know what? It's leading. My direction is actually leading to a destination. I do not want to go. Well, how do I know what's the best use of my time? Paul goes on, and here's what he says. God's will is not a secret. Okay? So pay attention to direction. Begin to ask, is this the best use of my time? And here's what you need to embrace. God's will is not a secret. Somehow we've begun to believe in the church that His will is hidden and you got to kind of search it out and you kind of think about it and you got to figure it out. And like, I am really not sure what God's will is for my life. And I sit down, especially with young uh, 20-year-olds and, oh man, I just want to know God's will for my life, God's plan. You know that, that, that uh, oh hang on, Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans that I have for you declares the Lord. Plans for your welfare, not calamity. Plans to give you a future and a hope. What are those plans, God? Show me. I mean, I'm telling you, I sit across the table. God's will is not a secret. 99% of God's will has been revealed to you in God's word. 99%. You can take that to the bank. Notice what the Apostle Paul says. Therefore, do not be foolish. Do not lack judgment. Do not act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord's will is. You know why he could say understand what the Lord's will is? Because it ain't a secret. Yeah, I was born in Texas. I can use that word. It ain't a secret. God's will is not a secret. So the question you ask is, what is God's will in this situation? What is God's will for you as a single? What is God's will for you as a married? What is God's will for you as a mom or a dad? What is God's will in your dating life? What is God's will during your engagement? And here's what we do. We manipulate God's will to become our will. All the time. Here's how we do it. You know, doesn't God, God's will's got to be for me to be happy. And God just wants me to be happy, doesn't he? I'm going to say there's some partial truth in there. God doesn't want you to be miserable, but he'd rather you be miserable and do what's right than to be happy and do what's wrong. See, but us, we go, no, no, no. God's will, he would never want me to be miserable. He would never want me to stick through this. It is too painful. He would never want me to, God's will. I mean, God wouldn't have brought her to the gym if it wasn't, his will. We have this chemistry. God wouldn't have brought him to the work. We have this. I know I'm married, but you don't know how hard it is at home. You don't know that we have drifted apart. You don't know that uh, he's not even walking with Jesus, Ryan. And I met this great godly man at the gym and wow, he loves Jesus. And right. (laughs) This is how we manipulate God's will. (laughs) Have you read what Jesus said about divorce, by the way? If there is not abuse, he says, God's will is for you to stay. Really? Really? Hey, singles, in your sexuality, God's will for you is to keep sex sacred. And so honor that. And say, just like Jeff and Felicia, they. They said, you know what? We're going to keep it sacred, and we just learned about it, so we're going to stop having sex so that on our marriage night, our wedding night, it's going to be powerful, and it was. But nobody's doing it. That's just not the way it's done. We live in a hookup society. I get that. It's just not God's will for your life. Please. Please. Please don't talk to me about God's unrevealed will for your life when you're not obeying his revealed will for your life. Some of you need to write that down and then figure out where are the areas that you need to start obeying. Because some of you are wrestling with the 1% and you're not obeying the 99%. This is how your sexuality and your spirituality meets. Pay attention to your direction. Is this the best use of your time? God's will is not a secret. You begin to ask, what is God's will in this situation? And then if you're like me and you just feel like, well, I don't know if I can do that. I have some habits that are long ingrained in who I am. How in the world am I going to go about living in and stepping into God's will? Remember, you said the days are evil. There's this culture current at my workplace. There's this this current that's sweeping me away all around me. How in the world do I go about it? Well, here's how. You have everything you need. You have everything you need as a follower of Jesus. Notice how the Apostle Paul says it: do not get drunk on wine. This is the clearest passage we have in regards to alcohol in the New Testament. And since it's here, I might as well go there. Notice it didn't say, do not drink wine. It says, do not get drunk on wine, do not be under the influence of alcohol which leads to debauchery, which leads to a reckless abandonment of self for sexual pleasure. It's debauchery. Now, I think it's interesting that college campuses are just now starting to apply this passage and banning alcohol from fraternities because of the sexual um, abuse that is happening Hey, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. I'm just going to take a little like parentheses. Would you just do a parentheses with me? I know we're getting here to, you know, you have everything you need. But I just think this is one of those helpful things for us discerning God's will, okay? God's will is for you not to be controlled by any other substance other than God himself. That's God's will for your life. Now, in the church, we've made alcohol such a big issue in the Western American church, specifically. For some, God's will for your life, because you have a history of alcoholism, because you have a history of parents who abused alcohol, God's will for your life is that you abstain and don't drink. For others, you don't have that same background. And God's will for your life isn't that you do not drink. Now, here's what we got to be clear there are clear things in the Bible about what God's will is. Here is clear: Do not get drunk. That's for every single one of us, gotcha? Now there's some areas where God's specific will for you based on who you are, and what happens is because it's for us, sometimes in the church, you know what we do, we then put it on everybody else. See, for some in this room, you can't drink. Because you have a history, you have a past, or you come from a family with a history and a past, or even you come from a theological history, and you're not able to, with clear conscience, drink. And that's okay. We want to honor that. But don't hold that over someone else. Let's be clear on what God's word says and not just our own preference or even our own needs. All right, parentheses done. Ready? Back to the text. (laughs) Instead, okay, instead of being controlled by alcohol. Instead, be filled. Underline that word, be filled. It's to become generously supplied with, to overflow. It's literally present passive imperative. And so get drunk was present passive imperative. It's present tense, meaning this is what you're currently doing. This activity you engage in. It's passive, meaning that you allow yourself to. That it is a receiving of. And then imperative. It's a command. It's what we're called to do. It's a command that you're to do. So it's literally to read this. Instead, a Allow yourself to be filled with the Spirit. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead now dwells in every single follower of Jesus. Let me talk real quickly about the difference between the baptism of the Spirit and the filling of the Spirit. The baptism of the Spirit is what happens when you trust Christ and you put your faith in him. The moment of regeneration, when you become new, you are then baptized by the Spirit of God. The Spirit now lives and dwells inside of you. You are sealed by the Spirit until the day of redemption. And you can never, ever, 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 ever. Ran all of the breath. Ever, 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 ever lose the Spirit of God. Because what God has done, you cannot undo. Okay, that is the baptism of the Spirit. The filling of the Spirit is your daily yielding to the Spirit of God to allow Him to control you rather than you to control you. You cannot be full of you and full of God at the same time. You cannot be in control and God be in control at the same time. See, the question here is, have I given control to the Spirit of God? Well, you go back to okay, I'm pay attention to your direction. Is this the best use of my time? God's will in that secret. What is God's will in this situation? Well, God's will may be that you need to deal and confess with some sins that you've been holding on and harboring. Because you will quench the spirit of God's work in your life when you habitually have sin in your life. And you confess it and then you surrender. You confess and then you surrender and you invite the Spirit of God. Would you lead me? Now here's the difference. Is he will, and you have the choice to obey. He will speak to you and say, You know what? Don't go that direction. And the minute you start to lean into that prompting, he'll empower you to live it out. The minute you start to lean into the prompting of the Spirit, he'll empower you to live it out. I remember when Jenny and I were dating, uh, we were very discouraged. Now, I think some of you look at me, and I'm a pastor, and so you think I'm weird. Uh, And, you know, like, oh, you do pastory things. Uh, Like someone was talking about Christmas Day, and they heard that we ride our bikes to uh, Chinese food on Christmas Day as a family and eat Chinese. And they're like, oh, wow, you do that? I thought you would be, like, praying all day with your kids around Jesus and stuff like that. (laughs) And I go, no, 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 we're, uh, I don't know. I don't know how to explain that. We pray half the day. That's how it works. We pray half the day. Okay, but here's the deal. When Jenny and I were dating, we struggled physically. We longed to honor God with our sexuality, and yet she's really hot. And so so we struggled, and we wrestled, and we were defeated time and time again and was discouraged. I remember coming across 2 Peter 1.3. It was a game changer for me. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our true knowledge of Him who's called us by His own glory and goodness. His divine power. Whoa, hello. You know what's been the problem is I've been self-driven, trying to fix it on myself instead of spirit-led. You have everything you need to live the life God has called you to live. And the question, the question is simply this. Have I given control to the spirit of God? Who's in control of your life? Who's the CEO of your life? Who's the boss? Who gets to call the shots? See, until you settle that, you will not be filled with the Spirit because your will is in competition with God's will. Pay attention to your direction. Question, is this the best use of my time? Well, how do I figure that out? God's will is not a secret. Yes, what is God's will in this situation? And He's given you everything you need to live into His will. Well, how do I know I'm filled with the Spirit? You ever wondered that? Joy and thanksgiving are the result. When your life is yielded to the Spirit of God, you didn't think it was going to be that. Some of you are like, if I'm spirit-filled, it's going to be drudgery and gloom. (laughs) I got to walk around with ash on my face all day long. No, no, I love what C.S. Lewis says. He says, joy is the serious business of heaven. Pierre de... Sharin, I totally butchered his name. I apologize. He says, and this is such a good quote, joy is the infallible sign of the presence of God. Joy and thanksgiving are the result. Notice what the Apostle Paul finished. He says, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Like, when you are filled with the Spirit of God, you overflow with joy. That that psalms and hymns and spiritual songs come out of you. Like, that's kind of weird. I know. But listen, sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. There's a song in your heart. That there's a lightness of your spirit. There's a delight in who you are. And always giving thanks to God the Father for, help me out, church, everything. See, when you're filled with the Spirit of God, you see things in the context of eternity and not your own reality. And so in everything, you can give thanks. Because you see, heaven is invading earth when you're filled with the Spirit of God. (laughs) So I've been working out lately. I know you noticed. Thanks for noticing. Um, (laughs) And so I'm, I'm about two months into this. And And one of the things, me and my buddy, as we're working out, uh, we decided we're going to start memorizing Scripture together. And so uh, we're going back and forth on what it it would be. And he's like, I really like the Psalms. I said, cool, let's start with the Psalms. And so we started with the Psalms. So we're at the workout place, and we're memorizing Psalms together. And we do a verse every time we uh, meet. We meet up three times a week. And so we started with Psalm 1. You know, blessed is the one who does not stand uh, or walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way the sinners walk or sit in the company of wicked. But he who delights in the law of the Lord. So we're literally, by the way, we're literally in the workout center speaking to one another in Psalms. (laughs) I mean, like literally speaking to one another in Psalms. We haven't gotten to hymns yet, but it's coming. It's coming. We're literally doing that. And here's what I got to tell you there's something so powerful about when you just proclaim God's truth to one another, and we lose this in the Christian world. Each time I walk away from that workout, there's something that ignites my heart. Because we're just speaking the word of God to each other. And I walk out and there's, you know, like Monday especially, man, I do not want to work out. And then I leave that place. I'm like, oh, so glad I did. I wonder what it would look like if we began to just simply take God's word at face value And just started speaking to one another what's true and what's God's word. Do I have a song in my heart and gratitude on my lips? You want to know if you're filled with the Spirit? Do I have a song in my heart and gratitude on my lips? Well, if you're tired of constantly comparing, of being dissatisfied with your circumstances, of feeling empty and unfulfilled in your relationship of always looking for a relationship to complete you, if you're tired of not enjoying the life you currently have, then let me extend to you an invitation to let spirituality and your sexuality meet. Would you pay attention to your direction, discern God's will, and give control to the Spirit of God? This morning, as we close, we're going to take communion, which is the celebration of Jesus's love for every single person on this planet. And it's an invitation for you to take a moment and discern the direction that you're heading. It's an invitation for you to take a moment and really offer And go, God, you can have all of me. Take control. And as you do that, there's going to be a couple things that come to your mind that go, well, not that. Not work. (laughs) Not that secret component. I don't want you to have that. Oh, did you see that? I didn't even think you saw that. I kept that so far down there. And he sees it. And I invite you to take communion. And in such a powerful way. Where you would go, okay. I'm going to evaluate the direction I'm heading. I'm going to invite the Spirit of God to have his work in me. And you have control. Because anyone who's willing to give their life for your good has your good in mind. Would you trust him today? In Jesus' name, amen.